So thank you guys so much for coming out today. I am just blessed by your presence. Uh, thank you to our friends in the back for joining us. Can we give them a round of applause for joining us today? Um, I hope everyone had an amazing Thanksgiving filled with food and family and fun and most importantly, the love of God. I thank you guys, uh, and, and I really hope that uh, it was enjoyable. We, we had a good one. Rosa's family came over. I got a chance to enjoy them and, and spend some time with uh, Rosa's family. I spent most of my day uh, in the books. I was at my dining room table between basting turkeys and cooking the pork shoulder and everything. I was, uh, I was at the table most of the day, but nonetheless, we, we found the time to break bread together, and it was great. Uh, but speaking of bread, um, you know, bread's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, I don't think there's anything more ordinary than bread. I mean, bread is about as ordinary and as mundane as a thing could be, I think, arguably. Yeah, I've traveled around the world. When I was in the military, uh, I've been to almost every continent. Uh, I've been to, to Central America, South America. I've been to Asia and Europe. Uh, I have traveled all around the world, and you know what's beautiful is there's always bread everywhere you go. It may look a little different, it may taste a little different, but there's bread everywhere you go. You go to France, they have baguettes and croissants, and uh, in India they have uh, uh, certain kinds of breads that's native to their land, and the Latinos have tortillas, and the Chinese have these doughy buns. Everybody's got bread. It's really the building block of our, of our meals. Did anybody have Thanksgiving dinner without bread? Anybody here? You did? Okay, a few of you. Okay. Maybe you're on a carb diet. I don't know. But most of us in this room, we wouldn't have had a meal without bread. We happen to like Hawaiian bread, so we had a little Hawaiian bread this year. I feel like you're big fans of Hawaiian bread. My son can eat a whole pack of Hawaiian bread by himself. <laughs> Look, he raises his hand. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's a common thing. It's just a staple of every meal around the world. And truth be told, it, it, this isn't anything new. It, it's been like this since the dawn of time. And in biblical times, it was this way too. Bread is as common and as ordinary as most meals we eat every day. What I love about bread, though, it's the commonness, the ordinariness, if you will, of bread that actually makes it a really good metaphor for our lives. Let me help you understand what I mean. If we're really honest, uh, most of what we do in our lives is pretty ordinary. It's pretty mundane. If you don't believe me, just, just think about what you do every day. Every one of us, for the most part, we get up, we go to work. Whether it's paid or unpaid, we go to work. We tinker with our hobbies. Uh, we, we take the time to shuttle our kids back and forth. We cut our grass. We go to the grocery store. We go shopping. We go home. We go to bed. We wake up and we do it again. And the truth of the matter is, um, it, there really isn't much that separates us from the people around us. It's pretty mundane. Just like bread... Our lives can be pretty 
ordinary. You know, maybe right now, just like this bread, maybe you see yourself settling in life. And maybe you feel like, you know what, my life is so common, it's so ordinary, it really doesn't matter that much that, that my life doesn't really have much meaning. Maybe you're in a place where you're in this unsustainable drive of mania and all you're doing in your life is just grasping for things that never really seem to fill you. Maybe you're wrestling, whether internally or externally, maybe you're wrestling with an unkind voice that tells you that you're not good enough. The voice that says to you, you just don't matter. Well, guys, I have really good news for you today. I hope to encourage you with this message. There is more to life than what you actually see. Where you see nothing but ordinary and mundane, there is so much more. Throughout the scriptures, we see just this very idea. We discover if we examine the scriptures closely that the things that seem like they're ordinary, the things that seem like they're common, aren't really so common. Take bread, for example. We're talking about bread. Let's think about bread just for a moment. The Bible tells us that bread fell from the heavens as a sign of God's provision. Not so ordinary. The Bible even uses bread as a metaphor for the law of God. Jesus took bread, the seemingly ordinary, to feed the multitudes with five loaves. Jesus himself is even referred to as the bread of life. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that he was given to suffering and death, Jesus broke bread and gave it to his disciples to give them a symbol, a sign, to give them a picture of him giving his body for the life of the entire world. Today, I want to talk to you about one of these stories. I want, to, I want you to turn to your Bibles today with me. We're going to be in the book of Luke again today. The last few weeks, we've been really dissecting the book of Luke. We were in chapter 15, and then we were last week we were in chapter 14. And today, I want to take you to chapter 9. Luke records three beautiful stories in his gospel about Jesus taking bread into his hands and he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at one of these stories. I've been digging into uh, a book that just came out this year. And it's actually a book called Blessed broken and given phenomenal book it came back it came out this past august i encourage you to read it's not a long read it is a phenomenal book and i'm going to be preaching a four-part series on my takeaways from this amazing book so this is part one of a four-part series i'm going to be preaching obviously today and next week 
and then Jim and, and Ryan will be back, and I will finish this series sometime in the month of February, so please tune in. But this is going to be part one and two over the next couple of weeks. Again, we're going to start in examining in the book of Luke chapter 9. Now today I'm going to be reading from the CEB. Whatever version you have is just fine. But I am going to be reading from the CEB. I know the Pew Bibles are not CEB. I'm going to have the scriptures uh, up on the screen so you can follow along. If you have your Bibles electronically, go ahead and just change your version on your electronic Bibles to the CEB. That's where we're going to be reading from today. Uh, before we get started, let me just pray for the word. God, I just ask today uh, that you reveal yourself through your scriptures, Lord, that you feed us and edify us through all that you have to offer through this amazing text. Thank you, Lord, for the reading and revelation of your word. And the people of God say, amen. Amen. So let's read really quickly. We're going to read, uh, starting in verse 10, I want to read a few verses. We're going to talk about it a little bit. We're going to read down to 17 today. And we're going to talk about the story of Jesus feeding the multitudes. So let's start together uh, in verse 10. Again, it's up on the screen behind me. We're reading from the CEB this morning. So verse 10 through 12 reads, When the apostles returned, they described for Jesus what they had done. Taking them with him, Jesus withdrew privately to the city of Bethsaida. When the crowds figured it out, they followed him. He welcomed them. He spoke to them about God's kingdom and healed those who were sick. When the day was almost over, the 12 came to sit, or I'm sorry, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the nearby villages and countryside and find lodging and food because we are in a desert place. There's a couple of things that I observe from this text. They're in a dry and deserted, a desert place. There were a few observations that I made in this text that I want to share with you. One, just from these few passages, what is obvious in this text is that the need of the people is great and is overwhelming. And secondly, that the resources are in very short supply. It might seem like it's an uncompassionate act for them. It might seem like the disciples are being a little bit uncompassionate with their request to send the people away, but to be honest with you, it seems pretty practical. We learn in the later verses the number, the sheer volume of people that were present in this moment, and they were just being practical. If we're honest with ourselves, guys, that's how we are. That's how we are with our friends and our families and those around us. Well, you might be saying, well, what do you mean? See, the problems of the world can seem just simply overwhelming. You don't believe me? Turn on the news. I got a notification this morning that there was a mass shooting today in New Orleans just this morning. There was a stabbing in London just the other day. It seems like the problems of the world are so overwhelming, but let's bring it closer to home. Open your Facebook feed, and all you will see throughout your feed is people suffering with one illness or another, one uh, 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 devastating event or another. What are you going to do? 
something tells me that a sad emoji just ain't going to cut it. And so what do we do? We, we text these people back and we say, hey, I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you. But what else can we do? What else can you possibly do? And, and on top of that, let's bring it even closer to home. You're dealing with your own stuff. You're dealing with your own problems and stresses and concerns. It just seems like it's too much. Your life is not exactly a walk in the park, despite what you might make it seem like on Facebook. It's just not a walk in the park. So you know what we do? Just like these disciples did, guys. We say, Jesus, just send them away. But you know what? Jesus didn't let the disciples off the hook quite that easy. And he's not letting you off the hook quite that easy either. Let's keep reading in verse 13. Jesus replied, you gave them, you give them something to eat. But they said, we have no more than five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. And they said this because there was approximately 15,000 people present. The scripture says there were 5,000 men, but between men, women, children, the elderly, there were approximately 5,000 people present. Jesus said to his disciples, sit them in groups of about 50. They did so, and every, everyone was seated. And Jesus, you got to pay attention to this, guys. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven. He blessed them and broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. In verse 17, it says, everyone ate until they were full and the disciples filled 12 baskets with the leftovers. Beloved, you got to catch this. Jesus blessed the bread. He broke the bread. He gave the bread. Those three actions in this text were a game changer. It absolutely changed everything. See, the desolate place in this text became a place of abundance. The desert became a banquet. And the story that began with not enough now ends with more than enough. So see, this is what happens when Jesus takes something into his hands and what Jesus does is he takes the ordinary bread and he takes it and he raises it up, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. We haven't even begun to get into this. See, I think that those words that Jesus spoke in that moment that changed that scenario, that changed that situation, those very same words can too change your situation. Those words can be a game changer for you too if you will allow them to be just that. Jesus took it. The scripture says that he blessed it by giving thanks to the Father. He lifted it up. 
he broke it and he gave it. You see, you got to catch this, beloved, that when the bread is in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's blessed it's broken and it's given. I'm emphasizing this for a reason that you're going to catch here in a moment. See, and so it is with you. Because you feel like you're as ordinary as that bread. But see, you, just like that bread, in the hands of Jesus, are blessed, broken, and given. And I'm going to explain to you what I mean. Your life in Jesus' hands can be something so much more. Let me tell you a quick story. I have had the, the privilege of ministering to a young woman, Rosa and I, uh, who came to me um, through Heather's parents. And she shall remain nameless, but I know she wouldn't mind me sharing this. She called me yesterday so excited, so filled and overwhelmed with joy. She says, well, I got it, and I had to tell somebody. And I said, well, whatever do you mean? She said, you got to understand, I've been doing exactly what you've been telling me. I've been finding the Lord through the Gospels. She's already read through John. She's re- she just finished reading through, uh, through Mark. She's going to read Matthew, and then she's going to read Luke, part one and two, Luke and Acts. That's kind of her reading plan, and she says, I'm only halfway through. I just finished reading Mark, and I get it. And I said, what do you get? She says, I've been believing everybody else's story in me. She says, I've been believing all the stories that everyone else has told me about myself. And now I see the story of who God said that I am. And I get it. She says, I'm so blessed because now I know who I am. Now I have my identity and I'm not what those other people told me that I was. She ended by saying, thank you, Pastor Will. I'm blessed. Guys, you got to understand that blessedness Us being blessed has nothing to do with accumulating wealth. It has nothing to do with our achievements. See, blessedness is about now knowing that you have your identity recovered. Being blessed is about knowing your true calling and it finally being revealed in your life. That is being blessed. You having a new name that God has given you. We have gone from being sinners to being saints. We have gone in our lives from being far off and distant from God to now being a cherished and valued child of God. That's blessed. I came across a quote in my studies from an Eastern Orthodox theologian. His name is Alexander Shemem. And he said this, and and I I, I want to quote this because I I thought this was a great statement. Uh, Alexander said, and I quote, God blesses everything he creates and 
in biblical language, this means that he makes all creation the sign and the means of his presence and wisdom, love, and revelation. You see, in the hands of Jesus, your life becomes broken. Now, some of y'all might want me to pause right there. Because some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor, well, my life is broken without Jesus, okay? I don't really need Jesus for my life to be broken, but let me help you understand this. See, your life in the hands of Jesus is a different kind of broken, and let me help you understand what I mean today. See, there are several different kinds of broken that I want to help you understand, and we're going to talk in our third part of this four-part series, we're going to talk in depth about brokenness. But today, let me just give you a little taste of what I mean. See, there's a brokenness that comes from our frailty. There's a, a brokenness that comes from our finiteness and our limitations. There's a brokenness that comes from our own failures, our own sin, our participation in spreading wickedness in the world. And then there's a brokenness that really is about the pain of living in this fallen and broken world. But see, what we can do, the good news is all of these brokenness, all of this in the hands of Jesus, if it's placed in his hand, he can take this and use it in a way that is just unspeakable. See, when you take the time when you are courageous enough to take your failures, your frailty, to take your suffering and, the, and, and just place it in the hands of Jesus. Beloved, what happens is you open yourself up to God's amazing grace. This brokenness that I'm talking about in the arms of Jesus in his hands is not a brokenness where you're wallowing in yourself pity. It's not where you're just woe is me and you're, you're just fixating on your misery. That's not what I'm talking about here. See, brokenness in the hands of Jesus allows us to experience God's grace and his fullness, and it humbles you. It leads you to a place of vulnerability. Being broken in the hands of Jesus takes us and transforms our hearts. See, brokenness becomes openness in the hands of Jesus. I'll say that one more time for those of you who didn't quite catch that. See, your brokenness becomes openness in the hands of our Lord. After all, think about it this way. Bread can't be shared unless it's broken. And your lives can't be shared with others unless you are broken in the hands of Jesus. See, in the hands of Jesus, you become the giver. Just like the bread where Jesus broke it, where he blessed it, broke it, and gave it. See, now here is your opportunity in the hands of Jesus to, too, just like the bread, for you, too, now to be given. See, you realize in this time that you're no longer your own. 
See, when you've embraced the Lord and you've allowed yourself to sit in his hands, you recognize that I no longer belong to myself, that I am not for my own purposes anymore. Openness and this vulnerability in Jesus leads you to a life of outwardness. And what do I mean? See, guys, there, there's a hunger in the world. There is this hunger, this desire in the world. There's a deep groaning in the entire world and in your hearts for something more than this ordinary. But see, when your life becomes blessed and broken in the hands of Jesus, see, he gives you a way for the life of the world. Jesus doesn't hold on to you, see. Jesus gives you, like the bread, he gives you for the life of the world. You become the vessel. You, beloved, become the way. When you are blessed and broken in the hands of Jesus, you become the way for those in the world in your life who don't know Christ to find their way to the bread of life. But we got to experience it first. We have to experience the grace and the love and the mercy of God. And we have to, guys. And this is what so many of us don't want to do. And this is why we get stuck in a place is we won't embrace our brokenness. We want to put up this facade like everything is okay, like we got it all together, like we're these super Christians, and the reality of it is we're more broken than the person to our left and to our right. I implore you today, if you are really going to experience this elevation, you have to embrace the broken. And only that, only in that embrace will you be consecrated to do what God is calling you to do in a way that will move in power beyond your wildest imagination. But you have to embrace the broken. I want to just look at this scripture really quick, looking at verse 16 again. Let's look at it together. It should be behind me here on the slide. Verse 16, it says, He took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to the heaven, blessed them, broke them, gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. One of the remarkable things about this story when I see that text is this. He gave the bread back to his disciples. Okay, maybe y'all missed it because I did too at first. But y'all got to catch this. He gave the bread back to his disciples. What am I talking about? Okay, this is what God does. You see, God does the multiplication. Jesus did the multiplying of the bread. And so if he already performed the miracle, if he's all-powerful enough to take five loaves of bread and make it enough to feed 15,000 and then there be leftover, doesn't he have the power to do the distribution? Didn't he have, doesn't he have the power to just take that which he multiplied and just distribute it himself? He had the power. Sure he did. So then the question that I ask myself here is why? Why did God in Christ, why did he give back the bread? Because that's what he does. It's just that simple. 
There's no complicated theological answer to this. It's just what he does. You see, since time immemorial, God has used humans as his collaborators to execute his will. And now that Jesus has performed this blessing, this blessing that wasn't just enough, it was a blessing that was more than enough, his disciples here in this text, they were, before this, they were willing, before the blessing and the multiplication, the disciples were willing to go to the people and be the bearers of bad news. Go away. I got nothing for you. But see, Jesus He didn't want to let them off the hook that easy, and he don't want to let you off the hook that easy either. You see, here, Jesus does what seems like the, and is the impossible, and he says, listen, you're not going to give them bad news. You were going to be the bearer of bad news, but now you're going to be the carrier of the good news because of the work that I have done, not you. You are going to now be the bearers and the carriers of the good news that I have sent you to give these people. And that's exactly what they did. That's what Jesus does. Jesus takes the broken. Jesus blesses us and he takes us in our broken state. And then he turns us into something for the purpose of his good and gracious will. That's what he does for me and you. Purpose restored. Calling now back on track. That's what Jesus does. Now let's talk about the significance of this text. It's important for us to see the hero here. The hero is not the little boy who gave up his lunch. The hero is not the disciples who learned a valuable lesson. The hero here in this story is the great host of the banquet that is Jesus Christ. He is the hero of this story, guys, because see, it is only through him, and as the text opens this up and shows us, Jesus responds in a way that we probably wouldn't have the ability to. See, in this remote place, in your remote place, We've all been in a remote place. Is there anybody that hasn't been in a remote place? Maybe some of you are there right now. Well, let me give you some good news. You see, in the remote place, what Jesus does is, him being the great banquet host, watch this, see what Jesus does. In verse 11 of our text, it says that when the crowd figured it out, some of y'all need to figure it out, they followed him And what did he do? He welcomed them. He spoke to them about God's kingdom. And he healed those who were sick. You see, Jesus, as the great host of the banquet, he will welcome his people. Jesus will do all the teaching you need not worry about. Jesus taught and will teach all of the people. He healed them just like he wants to heal you right now. And he will feed you eternally. This is what Christ does for us. He prepares an eternal feast for our lives. And not only is the one that Jesus the one who does all of these things that I mentioned, but with Jesus there it seems to be a never-ending supply. 
in the arms of Jesus. There seems to be plenty. There is an abundance. There is more and more. The grace of God is always more. It's never ending. It's never ceasing. The scripture says that everyone ate until they were full. The disciples ended up with 12 extra baskets of leftovers. Guys, they took five loaves, fed thousands. On the high end, some even estimate as high as 20,000 people were present that day. And Jesus did such a miraculous work that there wasn't just enough, there was an overflow. There was an abundance. See, Jesus turns the desolate place into a place of abundance. And right now, you might be feeling like you're in a desolate place. But if you surrender yourself into the arms of the only one who gives life, he will give you abundance. (laughs) I got excited when I saw that. But I wondered, the disciples didn't see it. Do you see it? The disciples didn't see the possibility of what the Lord could do. The disciples missed it. They missed the abundance that was right in front of them. My question to you is, do you see it? Will you miss it? The disciples did. And I asked myself, did Jesus... Did he see this place as a remote and desolate place? Or did Jesus have in his mind always seeing that everywhere he went was full of abundance, that everywhere Jesus went, that there was plenty, there was fullness, and the glory of God was right there? I think that it's the latter. But everything that happened here and everything that is happening in your life, here's the good news, is all the work of Jesus. It's none of yours. It's all his work. That's the really, really, really good news. And, he, and, and here's what I love about this, and, and I am none of these things. You don't have to be epic. You don't have to be spectacular. You can just be the bread. You can just be ordinary. Because remember, just as the bread seems common and ordinary, but the bread is actually full, it's crammed with the glory of God. And so your life can be miraculous and holy in the arms of Jesus. And that's what happens when we place ourselves in his hands. Because we, we need, as I begin to wrap this up. We need to open our eyes to see it. And and I'm not talking about just our physical eyes. We need to open up the eyes of our heart so that we can see God at work. The Hebrew prophets and poets wrote a lot about their relationship between God and his world, this world. And and I want to read to you a few passages. You don't have to go there. I'm going to read them really quickly so we can get through this and we can get to the feast in the banquet table of the Lord. In Psalms 24, 1 and 2, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Psalms 57, 5 says, Be exalted, O Lord, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. 
Isaiah 6, 3 says, And the one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see, God who is the holy God, God who is the one above and beyond everyone and everything, and everything in this world, his glory is filling not only the heavens, but y'all catch this, the glory of God is filling the earth. Now think about that for a minute. I I just want y'all to just sit on that for a minute, that the glory of God is filling the entire earth. God is holy. He is filling the earth. He's not only above and beyond his creation, but somehow, if you can possibly fathom this, God is actually within his creation. God is holy, and he's filling the common, we are the common, guys. He's filling the common with his glory. We're almost done. I know we took a little longer today, but guys, I, I just, I felt it in my heart to give you the depth of this message about God's glory and his holiness and, and embracing where you are. See, this says the heavens opened up from above on the earth. Now, long before Isaiah wrote this text, Before he penned these words, there was a herdsman named Jacob. If you'll read this in Genesis 28, I won't go through the whole thing, but I'll give you a highlight of that text. And this is, I'm getting to a point. We're going to be closing here in a moment. This guy, Jacob, when we see him in this text, he had a dream of the heavens actually opening up in Genesis 28. But in this time, he was on the run. Jacob was embarrassed. He was embarrassed about his deception, and quite frankly, he was afraid for his life. He had just tricked his dad, his father, to give him the inheritance of the firstborn. He stole the inheritance from his brother Esau, a blessing that was reserved strictly for the firstborn. Now, you got to understand that in practice, this blessing, this inheritance, came to symbolize someone's life trajectory. It came to uh, be the sense of someone's destiny. And here, Jacob is on the run, but he's on the run with a stolen destiny and wondering what would lie before him going forward. So one day, the scripture says that Jacob laid down. He went and found a place to rest. And now this should probably be a time where he's not really sleeping well, a time where he's probably having some nightmares considering everything that he's going on, but he found the pillow in the form of a rock. Now, I don't know about you, but I've slept on rocks before, okay? Being in the military, I get it. It's not exactly good sleep. But in the text, it says that not only did Jacob fall asleep, but the text says that he dreamt. He fell asleep pretty sound in the text. Now, The heavens in his dream, in his vision, it says that the heavens opened up and he saw angels ascending and descending in the place and he heard the voice of the Lord. And in verse 13, God says, to him in the vision, in the dream. He says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of your father, and the God of 
uh, Isaac. See, immediately in this text, God identifies himself as the God of your father, the God of your grandfather. And Jacob wakes up in that minute. He wakes up. Guys, and immediately Jacob probably spoke the most honest words he ever spoke in this text. And Jacob said, if you read in verse 16 of chapter 28, he he says, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Probably one of the most honest words he ever spoke. Guys, this is a description of a world being awakened to the nearness of God. This is a description of you being awakened to the nearness and the closeness of God. And quite frankly, guys, as we look at this text, what happens is just like Jacob, we're in a place where what we really do is we're scheming to try to enhance our fortunes, to try to enhance everything that we have, and we think nobody's watching. We're scheming and stretching and manipulating the outcomes and thinking, well... Maybe there is or maybe there isn't a God. And if there is a God, quite frankly, he's too far off to really care about what I'm doing. Some of y'all feel like that today. But Jacob got a glimpse of something. And I'm going to close here in just a second because I think you too need a glimpse. Jacob got a glimpse of something. Now, for you, the glimpse that Jacob got, it may not be a vision. It may not be some dream at all. It may be a spark. It may be a sense of God's joy and an awe of his presence and glory. Maybe you're bumping up against the mysteries and wonders of God. I don't know what it is for you, but your imagination has become awakened. Just like my friend that I just told you about earlier. See, she's gotten to this place where now... She's been awakened, and we see it. We see God here in this place, and he's been here the whole time. And now, guys, heaven just opens up for us, and the whole earth becomes full of his glory. See, you got to see this. Now the insignificant, because God's glory is filling the earth. This is about to close, guys. I need you all to catch this. If I put you to sleep, I need you to wake up right now. you got to see this, because the insignificant now seems significant, that you see a sunrise, and the sunrise is no longer just a sunrise, but a signal of a new day that God will no longer allow the darkness of night to reign in your life. See, you might hear uh, uh, or you might see or be in the presence of your friends at dinner, and that might seem like it's ordained or that it's ordinary, but when you're filled with the glory of God, it's a reminder of the music of friendship and love that you're not alone. That when you hear your baby crying, for those of you who have a little one, it's not just some annoying baby crying and you being restless at night. No, it's so much more than that. It's evident that your child is loved and that he or she believes that you care for them. That all of these things are gifts from God. And that the ordinary Yes, is ordinary, but it's extraordinary 
When you see it through the lens of God's glory, it's extraordinary. It's earthly, yet it's filled with his glory. Now, guys, listen, uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm really practical. Everything can be boiled down to some technical terms. Everything can be itemized into particles. My son, who is a great up-and-coming musician, a talented musician, um, he taught me this, that, you know, uh, great symphonies... They can be explained mathematically. They can be explained with sequences of sonic intervals. But the reality of it is, is that these music is more than just math. That music is more than just these technical terms. But that our life is more than just the sum of its events. In each moment, in each breath that we take, every thought, every act... There's something more going on. It's more than merely just the ordinary. And surely, just like Jacob, we got to open our eyes to see that the Lord is in this place. Guys, he's here right now. We don't even know it. We don't even see it. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And I would ask at this time that our servant leaders come and prepare themselves to uh, serve us communion as I make my final remarks. Guys, it is true. It is an absolute truth that the whole earth, as the scripture told us today, is full of the glory of God. All you have to do today is place your hands in the arms, in the hands of Jesus and watch what happens. Your ordinary will no longer be ordinary. It'll be crammed with the glory of God. You're not enough now becomes more than enough. Your every day becomes full of purpose. I want to thank you guys so much for indulging me and allowing me to take a little extra time today. We're running a little over, and that's okay. Next week, we're going to continue with part two of this. So I would ask this of you. If you were blessed, encouraged, or lifted, uplifted by today's message, I want you to share God's word with someone. If you think they could benefit from the series... Invite someone to come next week, not to hear me, but to hear the word of the Lord. I encourage you to invite someone who needs to understand being blessed, broken, and given.